take your Bibles this morning, go to the book of Luke, chapter number 10. Book of Luke, number 10. Uh, before we get into the message today, uh, let's pray and let's ask God to meet with us in this moment. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to again open your word and God allow it to speak to us. And Lord, I thank you for the songs that we have sung that prepare us for this time. And Lord, I thank you for each person here, each family represented. And God, I pray your blessings over them. God, speak to them today. Speak to my heart today through your word. And God, help us to leave a changed people, a motivated people, Lord, renewed in our walk with you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. And it's Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter number 10. Let's read beginning at verse 25. Luke 10, beginning at verse 25. It says, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on the road and When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. How many at some point in your journey have read this story? Anybody? Many of us, many of us have read the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, It's familiar to us. Uh, There may even be some songs we have heard in regards to this story. And so we're not looking at a passage of Scripture today that is uh, foreign to probably most in this room. But something I want us to do today is we try to bring the series I've been preaching, This Is My Story, to a close, is to look at this text with fresh eyes. And you know, when you see Jesus tell these stories, um, you can find yourself at some point in that story. In most cases, you can look and determine who you are. So a good question to ask as you look at this text is, who am I in this story? Who do I most line up with? Who do I fit the most 
in this story and let God speak to your heart. Because uh, we all came in here today with something that needs to change. We all came in here with something that we need to improve upon. Uh, and we need to admit that and, and, and ask God, Lord, look, change in me today what you desire to see changed in me. So let's look at this with fresh eyes. We see in our text that a lawyer, uh, literally an expert in the law of Moses, uh, he outwardly shows respect to Jesus by standing up. But in his heart, he wanted to trap Jesus, if you will. You know, these experts in religious law, they constantly tried to find ways to trap the Son of God, to discredit the Son of God. He asked Jesus this question. I think it's a, a noble question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, so Jesus asked him about what he knows this man knows best. He asked him about the law. What's written, Jesus says, what's written in the law? And so the man answers him, gives him the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says, you've answered rightly. Go and do this. But the, but the lawyer here, this expert, does not respond humbly by asking a question like, how, how do I do this since I'm a sinner? How do I go about doing this Loving the Lord with everything and loving neighbor as myself. How do I do this since I'm a sinful man? No, that's not what he does, but he seeks to justify himself. And, and this is true. This is often the case with moral experts. They want to, be, to justify themselves before humbling themselves. They think they have their lives covered pretty well because they look at their actions and not their hearts. How many believe there are some who perform religious duties every week outwardly appearing righteous, but yet their hearts are full of dirt and filth and mud. So he asked Jesus this question, who is my neighbor? And the expected answer that maybe he was waiting on from Jesus was like your relative or your friend, they're your neighbor. Maybe the person you live next to, <laughs> they're your neighbor. The lawyer would have then been able to say, well, I've done that. I am a good neighbor. And enjoy the honor among those who are certainly listening in on this conversation. So Jesus then begins to answer this question and expound on the law of love. True love is put into action. It's not merely a concept or a feeling. It's an action. True love shows itself. Listen to this. True love shows itself in valuing all other people, and valuing all other people. This story teaches us many lessons, but today I want to draw your attention to three words that define this story. Three words that define this story. As we talk about the story of the Good Samaritan. I want you to notice in verse 30, we see the first word that defines this story is ruin. The first word is ruin. Notice, Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him 
and went away leaving him, what does it say, half dead. Left him half dead. There's a road that goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's 17 miles long and drops about 3,000 feet in those 17 miles. It's long been, the, the people of that culture knew this. it's long been a hazardous trip due to thieves and robbers, many places to hide, many places to find someone by themselves and take advantage of them. Jesus intentionally leaves this man who's traveling undescribed. Those listening to Christ tell this story would have naturally thought that this gentleman was a Jew. Since he was stripped, as our text says, he was unidentifiable. Those listening knew that to identify someone, they can be identified in a couple of ways. His dress, the way he dresses, or his speech, his dialect. If you hear me talk long enough, you know I'm from the South. Amen. From the South. If I go up north, people know right away he's not from around here. (laughs) That's not the way they say it. They know I'm not from around here. I, I, I usually get that question, where are you from, because of the way I talk. This man's unidentifiable. So this man is any person void of ethnic background, void of stature, void of position. He, fell, he falls among thieves. They, he strips, they strip him, they, they beat him, and they leave him half dead. Being in this state, no doubt he would have been unconscious, so he can't even speak for himself. I want you to write this down. This gentleman who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho is a picture of fallen humanity. He's a picture of depraved men and women who find themselves beaten by the cares of life, by the sin that enslaves them, leaving them half dead. See, when a person turns their back on the city of God, Jerusalem, for the city of the accursed, Jericho, the only way a person can go is down. When you decide to reject God and pursue a life in this world without God, the only way to go is down. I told the young people this morning, Brother Isaac did a good job teaching the lesson and a thought I had while he was teaching. You know, we often hear that, and many in this room maybe may have this mentality, and I want, I want to help us, I hope help us, that Christianity is a bunch of rules. That Christianity is just a bunch of rules and regulations you're supposed to follow in order to be accepted by God. You know, and in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse we looked at, it says that the gospel's for all people. The grace of God has appeared unto all men. You know, isn't it amazing that when Jesus died on the cross for all sin, for yours and mine, isn't it amazing that the Bible teaches us there's nothing we have to do to earn that? There's nothing we have to do to be accepted. We have to simply receive it. You see, the devil has so played with our thinking that he's gotten people believing that Christianity is a whole bunch of rules and Christianity wants to enslave you when in reality, Satan, the God of this world and the culture, wants you to play by their rules. 
And there may be some in this room, you're enslaved to the rules of the culture because they tell you you should be a certain way. They keep feeding you these messages that you're not who you think you are and you need to be this person and that person because God didn't know what He was doing when He formed you in your mother's womb and so therefore you need to be this person. And it is enslaving people so much so, people are so enslaved that they get to the end of themselves and decide it's not worth it. Many took their lives yesterday because they got to the end of themselves because they're enslaved to the rules of this world. You see, the world wants to leave you beaten and half dead. It wants to leave you in that condition. This man's a picture of fallen humanity that rejects God for something that's accursed. And so the first word we see that defines this story is ruin. Is ruin. I want you to notice the second word this morning that defines this story is rejection. Not only is it ruin, but rejection. Look at verse 31. And by chance, a priest who was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Would you all agree that this guy has been stripped and beaten and left half dead, unconscious, unidentifiable? Would you all agree this man needs help? He needs someone to help him. I mean, he certainly can't help himself in the condition he's in. You know, so there's, there's hope. There's a couple of men walking by. Two people are coming his way. That certainly they will stop and they will help him. But however we see in our text, and maybe your blood pressure goes up a little bit like it does, like mine does when I read this. These guys approaching see the condition, but however, they acted abominably. They passed by. They had nothing to do with this helpless victim who needed help. Both of the men who showed up at this man's great point of need in his life, we see the man represents depraved humanity. These two individuals, they represent organized religion. Have you ever heard this statement before? Um, I'm against organized religion. When I hear that statement, I, I, <laughs> you ought to see the reactions. I say, uh, oh, man, me too. <laughs> I'm, yeah, me too. Then I explain myself. See, these guys represent the religious crowd. These guys represent those only focused on the outward and the rules. The man who was in such desperate need could do nothing for himself. You see, all the doing for him must be done by someone else. He needed help. The priest was certainly writing because he was the, in the upper class of society. The poor walk. Since he moves to the other side, the priest probably did not see this attack happen. How can he be sure the wounded man is a neighbor? May have been going through his mind since he cannot be identified. You see, if the person that's laying there that's beaten that's half dead to this priest, if he was non, a non-Jew, then the priest risked defilement, especially if the person were not half dead but whole dead. If he was completely dead, he risked defilement. If he defiles himself, he cannot collect, distribute, and eat tithes. His family and his servants will suffer the consequences with him. Priests were supposed to be ritually clean, exemplars of the law. There would be immediate shame and embarrassment suffered 
by them at the expense of the people and their peers for such defilement. Having just completed the two-week mandatory service, he would then have to return and stand at the eastern gate along with the rest of the unclean. In addition to all the humiliation involved, the process of restoring ritual purity was time-consuming and it was costly. The priest knew all this. It required finding, buying, and reducing a red heifer to ashes, and the ritual took a full week. The priest, he's in a predicament. And he can't approach closer than four cubits to a dead man without being defiled. So he would have to overstep his boundary of defilement just to determine the condition of the man. You see, the priest was more concerned with the rituals of the law than reaching out to someone in need. Look, the rituals of religion, no matter how rooted in truth and tradition, cannot help a lost soul. Cannot help somebody who's in need, who's beaten and half dead. What good would it have done for for Jesus to look at the dying thief on the cross and tell him when he said, Lord, remember me, and Jesus to look at him and say, you need to be baptized. The priest walks by. He's more committed to the rules of religion than he is to reaching a lost individual, someone who needs help. So then comes the Levite. This man's similar to the priest. He was consecrated to God. Likely enough, the lawyer who challenged Jesus was a Levite. The Levite's great duty was to preserve the law of God from any form of dilution or attack and to see that its requirements were kept, its precepts properly administered, and it was passed on intact to posterity. In short, the Levites were concerned with the rules of religion. What good would it have done to tell this poor, beaten, broken man to recite the Ten Commandments? or even just the two commandments that the lawyer had recited to Jesus. In any case, this Levite was no help. He crossed the road, took a look at the man, then he too left this man in his misery, in his condition, and like the priest, passed by on the other side. The priest and the Levite demonstrate the failure of God's rules and organized religion to save anybody. So what does Jesus do in this story? He now turns the lawyer's attention from from the religious crowd who left this man in his condition to the true Savior, the one whom the lawyer chose to despise. The Samaritan despised by the Jews turned out after all to be the one that brought salvation to the fallen man. I want you to notice the third word that defines this story, not only ruin, not only rejection, but redemption. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. He came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put on him his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. I want you to notice a couple of things that are just powerful about this good Samaritan. I want you to notice that he came to where he was. He came to where he was. Somebody say hallelujah. He came to him. You know, just like Jesus left the throne of glory to be born in a manger, to come to this earth and live among sinful humanity, He came to where we were at so that we could be redeemed by His blood. I'm thankful He came to us. He met us in all of our brokenness and helplessness and need. He left the throne of glory to change my story. Somebody say amen. The Samaritan is a glorious picture of redemption. Not only did he come to where he was at, I want you to notice he wasn't concerned with racial status. He wasn't concerned with racial status. Hey, every eye right here, to be racist is sin. To be racist is to have a hard heart that's not rooted in the love of God. Because Jesus died for all people. Y'all still believe the children's song, red, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in His sight. And I'm to treat all of them with respect and kindness. This good Samaritan wasn't concerned with racial status. Samaritans, they were a mixed race between the Jews of captivity and the Samaritan people of the land they were captive in. The relationship between these two people groups, Samaritans and Jews, is one of hostility because of some bad things that had happened in the past. They were bitter and resentful toward one another. Look, he wasn't concerned with racial status, but we also notice he wasn't concerned with ritualism. Samaritan's not a Gentile. Listen to me. He's bound by the same laws the Jews are. The Samaritan would not be naturally from that area, so the half-dead man would certainly not qualify as his neighbor. The Samaritan did not have to get involved here. But he wasn't concerned with upsetting the religious elites, those more committed to their tradition than to helping the dying man. He knew this man needed help, and he came to where he was at. In John 4, 29, it says, The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for me a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The Samaritan wasn't concerned about all that. We see that he wasn't concerned with racial status or religious ritual. He was not concerned with defilement either. He risked being defiled. Hey, can I tell you something? Hey, this Samaritan was going somewhere. He was traveling too. He was heading somewhere, maybe needed to be somewhere by a certain time. He, I'm sure, maybe had a plan for the day, his schedule of things he needed to accomplish. But he wasn't concerned with his time schedule or his, or his appointments or where he needed to be by a certain time. He was concerned that here's a man that needs help and I need to stop to help him. He reacted to this suffering individual with intentions to save his life, to restore him. 
We see that he came to where he was at. I want you to notice he was also compassionate. Webster defines compassion this way, a feeling of deep sympathy or sorrow for someone who is stricken by misfortune accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. The Greek word used gives the idea of being moved in one's inner being. You ever think about what moves your emotions? You ever think about what stirs your emotions? What gets you upset? What makes you sad? Because, see, those emotions tell a lot about you. They tell a lot about me. Hey, would you agree that it's a shame that in the church we can get more upset over our preferences of music and style and furniture and all those kinds of things, and we're not upset over empty pews? Do you agree we get upset over a number of different things that don't matter in the scope of eternity? But we're not moved in our emotions over lost people that are dying and going to hell, people who have been stripped and beaten and left half dead. Would you agree we're more concerned with stereotyping someone as we notice them from the outside and we make judgments of them based on their, their outward appearance rather than we are approaching all people with the gospel and being compassionate and kind toward all people? I agree with Brother Randy. God help us. Hey, you know how a church grows? You know how pews are filled? You know how God's hand of blessing is on a church? When a church pays attention and has a heart and they are committed to evangelism. That's how a church grows. It's not by the preacher changing a certain style of anything that he's doing, that he's wearing. It's not changing furniture around. It's not looking more modern or hip. People like to get upset over that stuff. It's not all of those things. All of that's preferential. All of that doesn't matter one bit to me. Not at all. All I'm concerned, we can meet out in the front yard, no sound, nothing, have church. Somebody say amen. We get so rooted in our stuff that we miss the fact that people are dying and going to hell and need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, the way the church grows is not changing something necessarily. Change is a good thing. As God leads, change can happen. But it's every person in this room recognizing your responsibility to be the good Samaritan and stop and help somebody who's been beaten and left half dead by the culture and by the evil world system and the God of this world, the devil. That's how the church grows. Can I tell you, it's just not the preachers in the pulpit of America that's called to reach people with the gospel. It's your responsibility just like it is mine. Hey, look, listen to me. I'm all for inviting people to church. Is it okay if I just preach a little bit this morning? I'm okay inviting people to church. We should. I believe everybody in here should invite people every week to church. Because I invite them to a ball game. I invite them to my house. I invite them everywhere else. Why not invite them to church? Somebody say amen. But I'm telling you, if all you're doing is inviting people to church as a mask for you not sharing the gospel with somebody, you're wrong. It's not your job to bring them to church so the preacher can preach to them and then they get saved. It's your job to present to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. To show them who Jesus is by loving them, being compassionate toward them, being patient with them, and showing them who Christ is. It's your job to go to where they're at, just like the Good Samaritan. To put aside your schedule put aside your rituals, to put aside your preferences, 
and to reach all people with the gospel. Man, if God gets a hold of our heart right there, this place will be full in no time. Y'all remember what the Samaritan woman did that I just read about? How are you being a Jew asking me of a drink of water saying I'm a Samaritan? And Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You know who she was talking to? Somebody tell me. Who was she t- saying that to? Jesus. That woman gives her life to Christ. Jesus said, he said, I speak to you, am he. I discern, you know, she talked about the son of uh, the Messiah. And I who speak to you, am he. This woman gives her life to the Lord. And what does she do? She runs around, goes and tells everybody. Can I tell you something? Maybe, maybe a faith that doesn't excite you is a faith that never saved you. How in the world can we be quiet when my sins have been forgiven? Hell is no longer my eternal home. And I'm going to spend forever in the presence of God. How in the world can I remain quiet over that fact? How in the world can I make excuse? And I know we're sinners. I, I know we, we, we battle the flesh. I'm not talking about perfection here. But how in the world can we live a lifestyle habitual lifestyle of not talking to somebody about Jesus. Can I tell you, and it doesn't matter how long, how, if you've grown up in the church, how long you've been here, that's not what saves you. Doesn't matter who your family is and how prestigious your daddy or mama was in the church and all the things that they did for God. That does not save you. The only thing that saves us is faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's what saves us. That's what changes us. So maybe if we're not excited about sharing that marvelous truth with somebody, maybe we've just been trusting the, the rituals, the religion, the Levite, the priest style our whole lives. Maybe we've just been, you know, I grew up in church. Maybe, maybe many are here today just no more out of tradition to come worship. It's what you've always done, but you're not here because you're excited about Jesus. Boy, if we get a hold of what God wants to do in us, if we get a hold of what the truth here of us being this good Samaritan reaching people, I'm telling you, God, the, the, the lid's going to come off. God's going to use our church because, you know, God will bless a people who reach people who stop to help the hurting, the broken, who have a heart and a love for all people. Look, he was compassionate. Look, what moves your emotions? When's the last time you were moved to tears over someone you knew that was lost? How can we tell if we are a compassionate people? We see in our text a great example of the Good Samaritan quickly, and I'm almost finished. Compassion is revealed in our ability to see. He saw the need in this man's life. He came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. The Samaritan was able to see the suffering man, not the race, not the consequences, not, not his outward appearance, not, 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 not all the stuff we, we, we tend to pay attention to. He saw the man's condition. 
Boy, what would change in our life if we learned to see people's condition outside of Christ? He engaged. He saw, he engaged to understand the need. The Samaritan didn't just see the man. He didn't just see the man, man, I feel sorry for this guy. He didn't just look at him. Poor guy. Bless his heart. No, he went to where he was at. He engaged this man. Look, he had to have put his hands on him. He had to have put his hands on him. To figure out and identify this man and, and, and uh, determine what his condition was. He had to put his hands on him. He wasn't concerned with defilement. He engaged this man to figure out what was going on, what this man needed. We were, I was teaching Sunday school many years ago at White Oak Hill. Um, our teen class was in the gymnasium, and all of a sudden we hear this big crash that, that kind of shook the, the gymnasium walls. I jump down off the stage and I run outside, and there's a car that has flipped over into a field across the street. There was a, there was a sharp curve where our church was at and took the curve too fast, and the guy flipped his car, I don't, I don't know how many times, more than once. It was, it was, he was in the field a decent ways. Can I, can I tell you something? I, I didn't just, that's terrible. All right, guys, let's get back to Sunday school. <laughs> you know, no, I, I, you know, what I, I ran to where he was at. I can't remember if I hollered for someone to call. Him. I ran to where this gentleman was at. As his car was upside down in this field. As I get over there, the man's panicking. And I grab him by his arm, fairly big guy. And I begin to help pull him out of his vehicle. And then get him to sit down and remain calm until help arrives. After I got done pulling this man out, I noticed I had his blood on my hands. You see, in a moment when you're wanting to help somebody, in a moment where you see someone in need and you're filled with compassion, you run to meet that need, you engage them, and you're not concerned about getting your hands dirty. All you're concerned about is making sure they're okay, making sure they're safe, making sure you've done all you can to help that individual. He engaged him. He saw him. He reacted to help meet the need, verse 34 tells us. He bound his wounds, poured in oil and wine, oil to soothe, wine to cleanse, set him on his own beast, took him to an inn and cared for him overnight. Never met this guy before in his life. Took care of him overnight. Look, he saw, he engaged, he reacted. And it's obvious he valued this man. He valued this individual. How do we know that the Good Samaritan valued this man who fell among robbers? He was thoughtless toward his own money or finances. We have no record of him pulling up his phone and checking his, 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 his bank app to see how much money he had. He was, he, he was thoughtless toward... He wanted to make sure no matter the cost this man was taken care of. When a man has no money, he's been robbed. He gave himself to make sure this man was going to be okay. 
when it was time for him to leave to get back to whatever he was heading to. He tells the innkeeper, if he cannot, look, I, I will pay. I will take care of it. I will cover it. And he left money. If more is needed, I'll give you more. Two denarii that he left was two days of wages. Is what he left the innkeeper. See, he valued this man. So much so, this man he's never met before. He's never had a conversation with. But he valued this man to give of his own resources to make sure this man's needs were met. See, if we're to care for the wounded, it will cost us something. Then how do we know we're compassionate? Not only see, engage, react, value, but we also embrace the situation and follow through till the end. You know, the, the words I've just given to us are an acrostic for the word serve. You see, if we're to live or live a life of serving, genuinely serving somebody else, it begins out of a life of compassion. And truthfully, compassion is something we don't see a whole lot in 2023. In a world where many are consumed with themselves and their families, so much so they neglect the needs of other people. They neglect the opportunities to evangelize and engage people with the gospel. The Lord turns to this lawyer, this religious expert, who seeks to justify himself, and he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Because of the hardness of his heart and his prejudice, he couldn't even speak the words, the Samaritan. He simply said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus looks at him and says, go and do the same. Go and do the same. You see, every life has a story. If we take the time to sit and read it. See, when you approach lives of people, they got a story. And we get beyond just the surface judgments we make of people by the way they look or whatever, a certain way they act. When we get to the opportunity to really engage people and hear their story. We're given the opportunity to share the hope of Christ. When we understand that every life has a story, our lives, our, our hearts are full of compassion toward people because we know we have stories. And we know that the same Jesus who left the throne of glory to change my story can do the same for somebody else. So our purpose is to share the hope of the gospel with those who have been stripped, beaten, left for dead by Satan and this evil world system. See, the story of the Good Samaritan gives us a good picture of the story of humanity, ruin, rejection, and redemption. Look, every day we are surrounded by people in public that we work with, that we pass by on the streets. Look, that we attend church with. That if you were to sit down and listen to their story, they have been robbed by the devil, stripped of everything, and left for dead. So I think everyone needs to answer this question. If you're a believer, a follower of Christ, everyone needs to answer the question, what will you do about it? What will you do about it? Who do you most resemble in the story, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Let's stand together for prayer.
Father, this morning I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I pray we have a fresh look. We've given a fresh look to this story that Jesus tells, this religious expert, that God so speaks to me. God, we get so consumed with ourselves that we often miss others who, who stand in need. And like the priest and the Levite, we pass by. God, please help us. Break us over this. God, help us to be consumed with reaching others with the gospel. That's why you left your church here. That's why, God, that we, that's the purpose that we should live with, that you have given us. And so, God, help us to be like this good Samaritan. Lord, forgive us for getting wrapped up in our preferences, the things we like. God, when our call is to reach people with the gospel, our call is to be a voice of hope and encouragement to those that we come into contact with. So, Lord, help us today to embrace this truth. Help us to live in this truth. Use us as good Samaritans as we go throughout our lives. Father, I thank you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, what I'm going to do this morning is this. Look, if you don't know Jesus, call on him now. There's nothing you need to do. There's nothing you need to change. You call on Christ. Let him do the changing in your life. But you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for your sin, and that He rose again on the third day. Do you believe that? If you say, I believe that, then confess Him now with your mouth as Lord. Seek His forgiveness for your sin. Ask Him to be the Lord of your life. He will save you right now in this moment. I invite you to do that. To the Christian this morning, Today, would you get around this altar and would you just simply ask God, would you say, Lord, help me to be like this good Samaritan? Would you help me to see? Would you help me, God, to engage, to react, to value all people? Would you help me to embrace people's stories and follow through in their lives? Today, would you say, Father, help me. Help me to have a heart like Christ. Help me to reach people. Help me to be this good Samaritan. I invite you to get around this altar today as we have a time of invitation.
Thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. Seal it to our hearts, our minds. Help us to be changed by the truth. Lord, help us to live in it, to walk in it, to practice it. God, use us for your glory to reach other people with the gospel. In Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for being here this morning.